You're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number 42. Today, you're going to learn why it is crucial to have an entrepreneurial mindset in this industry. You're also going to learn a few tips about how to be extremely productive. Here we go. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are talking to a serial entrepreneur. He is a business and performance performance coach. He also is the host of the Entrepreneur Hour podcast. Chris Michael Harris, how's it going, man? What's up, brother? How are you, man? Uh, doing well, doing well. Coming in from Austin, Texas. How is it out there? I Believe it or not, it's not hot, which is what people usually assume. It's probably <laughs> hot, and it is not. Have the bats started to accumulate under the bridge yet? Uh, uh, so I think they've migrated for the winter, which is usually when they're, you know, the most activity is going on. So I don't think you would see any bats now, but like a couple months ago, end of summer, you would have seen thousands, if not millions. Yeah, I just found out about that this morning and uh, I was wondering, I was like, huh, I wonder if he's seen that. I'm sure he has at some point. I but, you know I have many times. Ironically, I'm a huge Batman fan. Even so, better. Yeah, so I I have flirted with the idea of going down, and I, I, I will say I have like a cosplay Batman outfit, yeah. of going down in my kayak and going to the, what's called the Bat Bridge. It's the Congress Bridge, Congress Avenue Bridge here in Austin. Uh-huh. And literally going out on my kayak under the Bat Bridge at night when the bats are coming out in my Bat suit, which how epic and hilarious would that be? It would be awesome. Uh, just out of curiosity, who's your favorite Bat? Which, who's your favorite Batman? Is it Keaton or is it... Uh... So it depends on it, it depends on which aspect of Batman. Like if you want to say who's your favorite Bruce Wayne or who's your favorite live action Batman, it actually differs. My favorite if I had to say overall, I would say Bale. I'm a Bale guy. Mm-hmm. I love the I love the, the TDK trilogy. However, I will say live action, they have not gotten Batman closer than what they did with the most recent with Ben Affleck's Batman. Now, I don't like that they turned him into the Punisher and he was actually killing people because that's Batman's number one rule. Mm-hmm. However, the choreography of the fight scenes they did were as close to Batman that I'm the Batman that I grew up with than any of the Batman previously. Yeah, and I as long as you didn't say Val Kilmer or George Clooney, uh-huh. I think we're I think we're okay. <laughs> I think Kilmer was underrated, Clooney for sure. I think I think Kilmer was a bit underrated. I think it was more so just a bad movie rather than he was bad, but Anyways, I totally agree, though. <laughs> I could talk about Batman forever, but uh, like I said, the, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, like I said in the intro, you're a serial entrepreneur, and I just want to know how you got started in the industry. Man, dude, I, I just fell into it. I know that's not probably not the answer people are looking for, uh, but I will say that there are a lot of people that have the tendencies, and I've done myself. Uh, almost 300 interviews, much similar to the one we're doing right now. And one of the common denominators that I found is that people just had this um, keen eye for opportunity, uh, whatever that was. It could have been they mowed lawns when they were 11 or they flipped cars or they sold clothes on eBay or whatever. These are all things that I did. Just people that had a unique eye for opportunity to make a dollar outside of your traditional nine to five. Um, so that was absolutely me my entire life. When a lot of the kids were, you know, out 
doing whatever the kids do during the summers, I was figuring out ways to make money and got so much to the point that even in high school had an unofficial lawn care type business. Um, we, ge we were generating so much opportunity for ourselves that we had to start hiring our friends. So that, that kind of get planted a seed in my mind of this is maybe more than just, hey, I make a couple side bucks, you know, and, and move on and pay for your, your whatever you're paying for, your video games or whatever habits you're trying to fund in high school. Uh, when I got into college, it was more of the same. And so eventually one of my high school, or I'm sorry, one of my college endeavors uh, started to really take off. Uh, so we, we were living in an apartment community that was not very favorable to moving. Uh, it was designed very poorly for, from that aspect. And so we decided, hey, why don't we just make a quick buck over the summer? We'll help people move and so on and so forth. So we put up a flyer. We made we had a good relationship with the lease office manager there. And dude, next thing you know, we're moving like 30% of that building, like generating thousands and thousands of dollars and just so happened to have a friend that was going to the same college we were going to whose grandfather had a moving truck. So it, it just was very serendipitous. Everything fell together. That business ended up um, I, I graduated, went on, got a real job, right? And because I didn't know what else, you know, you graduate, you go get a job, right? That's what you're there for. That's what you're there at college for. They kept running that moving business and it kept growing. I think they did the next summer, like $25,000. Again, two college kids, right? With just grandpa's moving truck, 25 grand. And I said, at that point, we've got something here. So I left my job, came back within a very short period of time, uh, less than 36 months. It was a multi-million dollar company. Um, this this so moving this moving company was it was a moving company the the big catalyst for growth that put us over the you know from multiple six uh, to to then seven and beyond figures uh, was actually furniture installation so we were doing a lot of stuff for for fully furnished apartment communities for students that are off campus um, doing the drop shipping aspect of comes in from China or Mexico we assemble it put it in the unit student shows up for their first day of class. Their apartment is fully furnished. They just have to bring their clothes. So we got into that. We were doing those in 32 states around the country. Uh, at one point, I know I had hired a total of like 1,200 or 1,300 people for that business in its time, right? And over the four or five years we were running that business. Um, but at one point, I think I had like 350 employees across, actively across like 12 or 14 states at any given time. So it was pretty wild, man. I was in my early to mid 20s and and really way over my head in terms of what we were doing. So that's my my... Uh, short but yet long answer to your question. Was it kind of one of those moments where it's like bite off more than you can chew and then figure out how to chew later moments? Yeah, man. I think um, it's a really uh, important question that you ask because there's so many entrepreneurs that they want it to be perfect, right? And they feel they, they really hold themselves back because they're like, well, I'm not ready or, or my product's not ready or I, f I don't feel like, you know, and, and one of the, the things that you have to kind of, a doctrine or right, a dogma that you have to kind of marry yourself to is it's progress, not perfection. Um, I, myself, am kind of the other way. I have to reel myself back a little bit because I am of the mindset of jump off a cliff and figure out how to build a plane on the way down. And I get myself in trouble with that. I'm not going to dismiss that. But it's this really tough balance because there's a lot of people that stay on the sidelines. I call them professional learners, that they're just never ready, right? It's the next book they need to read or the next course they need to go through or the next whatever it is that they see is a, an imaginary roadblock in their way to getting their business off the ground. And dude, truth be told, all of those things, all of that wisdom, all that learning that they're going to accumulate, it, it, it's, yeah, you can synthesize it. You can 
uh, to a degree, like you can, you can learn a lot in, in, in the covers of books. I'm not dismissing that. I run a book club. It's one of the things I do now. However, there's nothing like the real thing, like actually doing it and running your business, learning some of those valuable lessons. You just don't get that unless you just go do it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs hold themselves back unnecessarily. And what do you think is holding them is holding them back? Because I'm sure you've heard a whole slew of excuses or reasons. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I've heard, and I, I really believe in this, is that people aren't afraid to pursue their their dreams, right? That everybody that's cute. Like everybody's like, yeah, pursue my dreams. I think the problem is if we're really being honest, and I, and I love studying Brene Brown's work because she talks about vulnerability and and things of that nature. Where I think are a, a fundamentally uh, a topic that we don't discuss, right? And and not only in society, but specifically in entrepreneurship, that I think is so important. I think the biggest thing to answer your question is people, they're afraid to, to be seen getting started, right? So the roll up your sleeves, the whatever you have to do to hustle. Uh, there were many times, Thomas, where um, I, was, I, I had finished college, right? I'm a college graduate at a, at a very prestigious school, very hard to get into. And yet here I am out moving college kids, right, out of their apartments, going through all of their, I mean, you know, college kids, right? Like these weren't. These weren't cleanly situations here we were going into in some situations. Yeah. And some of the moms of these students would say, you know, uh, comments they'd make. Well, now, now, now is, this, do you, is this all you do or do you do other things? Or another one said, now, this is why you stay in school so that when you graduate, you don't have to do this anymore. Right? So very insulting things. They didn't know that I owned the company in some cases. They, you know, they, so they're very curious and confused about why this kid... Uh, this young man is spending his time moving college students and rolling up his sleeves with my t-shirt on out there in the summer heat doing what I had to do. And I think there's some people that are afraid to be seen because they're not willing to be vulnerable to say, yes, I'm new. And yes, I just got started. And yes, my audience is small. And yes, I don't have a lot of people listen to what I'm talking about, or I don't have a big email list, or I only have had a couple customers. And I think that that's a place that's really kind of scary for a lot of people. So I think that's what really, if we're really being honest, right, it's, it, it's about the fear of the perception of who we are, what we're doing, and getting started. And how do you eliminate that fear exactly? That's tough, man. I think everybody has to reconcile it differently. I think um, I think we all have bad data. Uh, my bad data, so I can I can only tell you my anecdotal experience because I've never been anybody but myself. But for me, it was I have a really deep seated prove myself bug. Um, when I was growing up, I felt I, I my father was. Uh, a little bit older and came from, he's a baby boomer and his lineage, it was the children should be seen and not heard era. Right. And so there wasn't a lot of praise heaped onto their children. And there wasn't a lot of like, you're great and big hugs and I love you and this and that. Um, not to say that my father wasn't loving in his own way, but it wasn't maybe what people perceive to be encouraging or supportive as much maybe as what you would see today. Um, I love my dad. I have a great relationship with him. So I'm not trying to, you know, whatever. I'm just giving people context. Um, so for me, I had a big prove myself bug, right? So for me, uh, when I have those comments directed towards me, the comments that I felt were disparaging about what I was doing, getting started, stuff like that. Um, I think you have to look at a deeper level and say, why am I embarrassed about this? Right? Like, why would that affect me at a deep level? And if you have a prove yourself, like I have, that is the opposite of proving yourself because you have people that are literally insulting you for, for what you're doing or, or not mocking you or intentionally doing anything. It's not malicious. Um, but I think we all have our bad data that we carry around like that. And I think it's a matter of, okay, let's analyze it. Let's, let's reconcile that. If we need, if we need to, we're going to work on reframing that in a more positive way. But I think understanding it and recognizing it and not ignoring it, which is a really important part of the discussion, I think with entrepreneurship 
Anybody that thinks this is just a physical game is completely fooling themselves. 95% of what you do in entrepreneurship is a mental game. So if you have these mental deep-seated roadblocks or these emotional, uh, you call it baggage, call it bad data, I call it bad data. If you're carrying that around with you and you think that somehow that's not going to manifest further in entrepreneurship, you're completely kidding yourself because entrepreneurship puts everything under a microscope, period. Everything you experience is going to be far more, more volatile and extreme. Uh, if you have financial issues, well, guess what? You don't have a paycheck coming in. Now you've got to go figure it out. That's going to, you're going to experience extreme volatility in your, in your emotional well-being and your financial well-being in every aspect. So what that does is it brings out the best and the worst in us, right? It brings out the best because you learn what you're capable of, what you're made of, which you will surprise yourself, I promise you, at just what you are capable of because you've never been challenged to that degree. But it will also bring out some of that negative stuff. It's what you do with that and how you uh, go about addressing it that is going to determine whether or not you take the next tangible, viable steps forward with what you're doing or whether you stay stuck and retreat back to professional learner mode. Well, I'm not ready yet. See, this proved that I was right. I'm not ready yet. People clearly are making comments. I'm not ready yet. So it's it's a, it's an it's an ongoing battle, and I don't mean to discourage anybody, but it is something that is, in my experience, it hasn't gone away. Those voices actually get louder over time, and they're different, and they they alter contingent upon the season of business that you're in, but they never fully go away. So it's a matter of owning that head game with yourself. Do you still experience that yourself to this day? I wouldn't say that the prove well, that's a lie. The 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 prove myself thing is is there. It's just mutated in a different form for 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 different reasons, right? Like I, I've I've obviously I'm obviously a far more established than I was previously. Um, but I'll give you I'll give you an example to answer your question. It's yes, um, but I talked to Dave Asprey. Uh, he's the founder of Bulletproof, like Bulletproof Coffee. Came on my show and I built a good relationship with him. He told me he said, you know, here's the thing, man. My, my show has over 100 million downloads and I'm giving people advice about their health, their well-being. Don't think I don't feel that pressure and don't think that the imposter syndrome voices don't grow louder when I see those numbers. Because if you're a good person, right, if you're really trying to, and, and I would say most of us are, and you're really trying to provide and have integrity in your work and the value that you're delivering, again, which most of us probably do, um, you are going to question, did I, you know, did I really deliver did I really help them or was, you know, was that message appropriate or was that product as good or, you know, you hear those things and you, it only raises the stakes even further. So, um, so yes, to answer your question, I do have those as we all do. Uh, I thought I was in, I thought I was alone in that for a long time. And then talking to the people that I've talked to, not dissimilar to the conversation we're having right now, you normalize it. And by normalizing it, I think you're able to address it and move forward. But I think a big thing that, that goes wrong with a lot of young entrepreneurs is, they stay very isolated with those thoughts and those thoughts begin to um, become a pervasive thought and start to, to control and dictate what they do, how they do it, how they feel about themselves, how they feel about their business. So the best thing I could, I could recommend as far as practicality and actually addressing this is find a group of people that are also entrepreneurs that you can mastermind with because I guarantee you're going to find so many similarities, uh, so many of those same feelings and sensations a lot of those people have and you guys can work through it together. And do you feel like kind of throwing yourself into the pool or throw yourself into the fire is probably one of the best ways of learning? Yes, but calculated. Mm. Um, so what I mean by that is what I don't want to have somebody do is send me an email or find you or I on social media and say, hey, I listen to you and Thomas and 
uh, you guys told me to go for it, right? Pursue my dreams, put myself in the corner, jump up and figure out a plane in the, you know, figure out to build a plane on the way down. And now I'm losing my home and um, I'm bankrupt and this and that. So I like, to, here's, here's the way I like to break it down for you uh, and for those listening. I strive for urgency, not desperation. Urgency, not desperation. The reason being is because urgency is going to push you to take action. If you're complacent, you're comfortable, you're not, it's not going to happen, right? There's no reason for it to happen, right? We want to put ourselves under that that pressure cooker to like really push ourselves, you know, so so whatever that looks like for you, uh, put yourself in that situation. Desperation means I quit my job and I have a two-week personal runway and that's all I have saved up. That's stupid. That's not calculated at all. Uh, I, and I will say, the reason I can say it's stupid is because that's what I did. And my first six to eight months in business, I mean, I told you guys the, the positive side, like we grew the business and exploded and this and that. Well, the part that I didn't tell you was that the first six months after I quit my job and I was, you know, no longer, um, I was no longer, you know, receiving a paycheck. Uh, I was doing laundry in my bathtub, literally just turning on the water and, you know, because I couldn't afford to go to the laundromat because it was that or buy my canned foods because I was eating canned foods because that's all I could afford. So I was down to my last spare change here and there. There were many times where by the grace of God, we got some kind of an opportunity that came in because I was down to like seven bucks and I had no idea I was going to pay rent. It was very stressful and it induced a lot of physical um, consequences later on in life that I had to address. That was desperation. Here's the thing. Your ideas, your creativity um, is not going to flourish in desperation, right? Because fight or flight is going to take over and you're going to only think about what's the next move this right in front of you, even if it means going to take two steps back because you're literally shooting yourself directly in the foot. I can talk about other how other ways that will actually, you know, show up in business because that absolutely happened to me. But urgency will push you to stay on it every single day because you do have a deadline. It's just not a, oh my God, I'm not going to eat and be able to f- provide for my children deadline. And when you're, I mean, when, did you at one point, I mean, I, that going through that, did you ever get frustrated because you felt like everybody was getting paid, but you, and you were putting in all this hard work and nothing was happening? Yeah. Um, so fortunately, uh, so, so it wasn't as much other entrepreneurs for me. Um, I was, I very much, and this is something I'd really recommend to people. One of the things that really hurts us now is we have a very difficult time using social media as inspiration versus becoming a little bit consumed by it. And what I mean by that is, is that we see the smiling faces and the smiling entrepreneurs and the, the paid rented cars and the luxury or the, you know, luxury hotels and the rent, the paid models that are there to do photo shoots and video, whatever with them. And for those that have followed enough of these people online, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about without me saying names. Um, back then, and I act like I'm you know, 100 years old, this was like 10 years ago, but social media was somewhat still in its infancy, at least as it relates to entrepreneurs, marketing. Like entrepreneur, dude, 10 years ago when I was getting started, entrepreneurship was not a sexy mainstream name. Most people didn't even know that it was a viable career path, right? So, so I really turned that aspect off big time, right? Like I was not on social media very often. If I was, it was, you know, just, Hey, drop in and say, yeah, whatever, you know, watching a movie or something. It was very, 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 very minimized. I would really recommend that for a lot of people outside of just, um, blocking off time for educational reasons, right? If you're going to go through something, there is some valuable information kind of understanding the market, knowing what's going on from a business standpoint. However, 
the biggest thing that was tough for me was seeing my friends go off, land jobs, getting a $75,000 a year, whatever plus salary that they were getting, buying new cars, uh, living in nicer apartments. And I was still relatively living like a pretty broke college kid. Actually, I was worse off than when I was in college in many ways. That part was really, really challenging. Uh, and in many ways, if there was anything that actually pushed me towards quitting, which very few things will, um, however, if there was anything, it was absolutely that, specifically for me, my younger brother. So when my younger brother graduated and he got a job, and there was one specific instance that, that resonates with me, um, my wife, at the time she was much as my girlfriend, we'd been together a year. We were, I was going to take her out for her birthday, and my family was coming into town and stuff like that. And my brother still lived in the same town that we were in. And I couldn't, I could, I couldn't afford to pay for my own meal, let alone, you know, my girlfriend. And so my brother, my younger brother, little brother had to jump in and pay for the meal. And I think mm. that was a defining moment for me that said, you're going to figure this out or you're, um, you're going to quit and go get a job because this is not the life that at that time I had decided this was the person I was going to marry. And this is not, that's not a life that I was going to, you know, provide to her. It's just, that's, that wasn't acceptable for me. Um, so long way to answer your question, but yeah, um, it was more so the people around me that were thriving and, and, and succeeding and moving forward their lives while I felt very, very stuck. Yeah, that's, and I'll be honest, that's held me back too. And is just seeing everybody around you being successful. And even when things are starting out, you know, you're paying people out of pocket and it's like your videographer, your editors are making more than you. And I actually have a younger sibling as well, and she's doing really well. And it is, it is a little frustrating, but yeah, you just got to keep, um, kind of pushing through and like you said, just kind of figuring it out. And it's interesting because, you know, we talked about, uh, people basing that on fear, but what I also find super interesting and fascinating and would love to deep into psyche is people who are fear of being successful as well. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I want to make one last point for those that are in that situation, similar to what, to what you're in with, with that is you have to understand that you're playing a different game, right? So here's the deal. Even if it, I would say it's entrepreneurs are, are going to be, you're going to be 10 years behind your counterparts and I'll prove that to you. I'm I'm now in, in pushing my mid thirties, and we're in a small group with with our our church, and they're ranging from seven to thirteen years younger than me. Most of them, uh, they in many ways are life trajectory wise pretty much where we are in terms of of uh, the things that they're doing. Life seasons, right? Like they're they're getting ready to think about talking, starting a family. They're getting ready to buy a home. They're getting ready to do all these things that I myself am just now starting to do. And many of my friends that are my age, people that I graduated with, they've had kids for like 10 years, you know? So I, my opinion, this is my opinion, and I, have, I can't, you know, prove this beyond, again, my own anecdotal experience, but entrepreneurship is going to set you back about 10 years, right? You, usually what I'll see, and, and, you know, I have data and research that I've done to, to validate this, but you're probably looking at a nine-year journey, really and truly a nine-year journey to really figure things out and to become what they call a quote-unquote overnight success. It's going to take about nine years. And that aligns with my experience. About 10, it feels like a, people about a decade behind me are right where I'm at with life season. However, 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 we have this terrible, terrible uh, habit of trying to play the same game as our counterparts. We're not playing that game. Play your own game. Your game is building. You're building for the long term because here's the deal. If you invest that 10 years, let me tell you this right now, 
you can invest that 10 years where I'm at right now, right? Where my wife and I are right now. We could feasibly retire and be more than okay within the next five years. That's it. By the time I'm 40. Financial freedom is well within our grasp. Well within our grasp. We own our time. We get to do the things we want to do. We get to vacation around the world. We can work from wherever. All of those various things are well worth it and will pay off big time. So you have to keep your eye on the prize and understand that, hey, here's the deal. That's not the game that I'm playing. Because here's the thing. It looks, you know, from our, our, our viewpoint, right, which is, which is a, a, a limited viewpoint of, of their life. And, and this is not to discredit what they're doing. I, I wish all of them well. But do you think that financial freedom, truly, do you think that financial freedom is within reach by their mid-30s or, by, or, or them being able to retire by 40? Do you think that's within reach? Not that I'm going to retire, but the fact that I could choose to do so, right, is well within our reach. That's not something, they're going to be chugging away till they're 65, 70 years old. So just the fact that I have the freedoms that I want to have, that I can create something and serve people on a level that I want to do so, not have to wake up every single morning and go into an office, but be my own boss and truly be the master of my own of my own life, dude, that's invaluable. And I would do it all over again, 10 times over. So play your game and ignore that as hard as it is. No, I dude, you you hit the nail on the head. I, I totally agree with you. And especially in social now. And it's it's I have just, you know, I I feel like I'm very self-aware and I'm trying to, you know, recognize my triggers or whatever. And I recently with, you know, people online, you know, in social, you know, I, I, I found myself consuming more content that I was making and almost it's just, it's been holding me back. And then after I talk to a lot of other people as well, it's just fine. Like you find similarities. Cause then it's like mixed with that. It's like, well, I'm the only one who's doing like that. But then you talk to other people and like, dude, I'm the same exact way. So, you know, it's just also being very self-aware as well. So uh, I think you, yeah, no, I agree with everything you just said. And like one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you today is because, you know, even though this, you know, my expertise is in the entertainment industry, I feel like you have to have that entrepreneur mindset and thinking outside the box. And once you've mastered, you know, you just take one thing at a time and try to be productive as possible. But what would you say are some keys to productivity? Good, solid productivity. Wow. Um, so for the for one, and, and I'll give you kind of my biggest breakthrough lately because there's many things we could go into as far as productivity is concerned. For the, I'm a big believer in habit building, right? So I think there's way too much emphasis placed on discipline and willpower. Uh, if you any of the the major uh, experts in this area, you'll you'll determine that people usually will try to every day they wake up today I'm going to be more disciplined, and every day they end up feeling disappointed. Well, that ends up creating uh, a compounding effect, whether that's self-loathing, whether that's self-doubt, whether all those things like lack of esteem, right? Particular negative views about themselves. So things that are not positive. If you can literally focus on, and I recommend the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg and kind of starting this journey. If you can focus on building what are called success habits, one of the things that you'll realize and you'll study, you're going to find the same thing I found, I, I promise you, is that the ultra successful people, the people who admire, the people who respect, in many cases, they're no different. They just—they're not—they're not just these, you know, stormtrooper drill sergeant people that just, you know, completely just own their emotions and 
you know, when, when things are, you know, whatever, they just double down like a drill sergeant. Like that's not what they do at all. It's, it's not, it's not. And in many cases, they actually don't even work more than other people. It's a true story. What they do though, is they figure out what are the keystone habits, right? What are the main habits that I can acquire, whether they're maximizing my strengths um, and figuring out the things that are in my way, the things, the habits that I have that are slowing me down, uh, the things that I need to do so that I put myself in the best the best situation that I can to succeed, right? So if that's number one, figure out what your keystone habits are and make sure you nail those things. Whatever they are, doesn't matter what they are. The next thing is, uh, is to understand what's called Parkinson's law. So Parkinson's law basically will tell you that your work will expand. This has been the break, big breakthrough that I, I referenced. Your work will expand to fit the time that you allow for it, right? So one of the things that I used to do, and this is this is really tough for entrepreneurs because we want to, part of the reason that we want to pursue our own venture is because we just want to own our time, right? And do what we want to do. The problem is, is that, you know, if you know, if you're familiar with Jocko Willink, the former Navy SEAL, he's got a huge podcast now, but he talks about how discipline equals freedom, right? Discipline is freedom. And for me, I push back on that a lot at first because I'm like, bro, like I'm not, you know, I'm trying to be that entrepreneur and have my time and do my things. But here's the deal. I use what's called the full focus planner. It's Michael Hyatt's full focus planner. Highly recommend. And in so doing, one of the things that it makes you do is really plan out your day before you actually take on your day. Now, most people, what that looks like is they just write down a list of tasks. They're a taskmaster. Well, what did I say before about not playing the game that everybody else plays? Mm. If you become a taskmaster and you just make your list, how is that any different than the common folk in a nine to five? It's not. You're doing the exact, you're playing their game, but you're putting their game into this new game that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate, doesn't replicate, and, and it doesn't lead to furthering your success. So what you do is with this, with this, foundation that you're introducing is you want to focus on here's my habits that I want to build and you focus on building them one at a time 66 days is the average length people say you can do it in three weeks the average is anywhere between 17 and 85 days roughly the sweet spot is about 66 so 66 days to build a new habit figure out what those main key habits are find a planner it doesn't have to be the full focus planner to just find a planner when you're outlining your day what I do is I theme out my weeks Right, so this is what I'm working on. These are my big initiatives. Usually, you don't want more than three to four major initiatives in a year. I know that sounds crazy. A lot of people are like, "That is absurd." I could do so much more than that. It's not a matter of doing more. It's about about doing more that's going to make a difference. So, if you really whittle it down to the top four things that are going to grow your business more than anything else, you are selectively choosing to put your effort into those impact-driven areas. Right. So then, so now we're talking basically a quarter, right? So you're going to spend a quarter on one thing in particular, right? Major initiatives. I'm not saying ignore everything else. I'm not saying let your kids walk to school. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's <laughs> the main focus. All right. So don't, don't mishear me. You're not saying you're going to do four things a whole year. That's not what I'm saying. But what I do then is I will literally reverse engineer. Here's my goal for this quarter. Right? Here's my one big thing for this quarter. Reverse engineer that. Okay. What has to be done? What's the next viable step? to getting to achieving whatever this goal entails. And I'll break that down, literally roadmap it out, you know, week by week, roadmap it out. Here's the amount of time I have. Again, urgency, right? You have a deadline. This is what needs to be done. You're being very clear. You're being very specific. You have your, you have everything you're going to, you're going to need outlined every single day, right? After I theme out those weeks, every single day, usually for me on Sunday afternoons, uh, I'm going to plan out the entire week and literally put in, here are the biggest impact areas first, then I need to take care of. 
So in, in the full focus planner, he calls them the daily big three. I call them MITs, the most important things. Now, by focusing on those most important things or your big three, those are the, the first core things you're going to put inside of your, your planner every single day, five days a week, right? Some, I use it seven days a week, but, but some people use it, only use it five. That is going to make you focus. If nothing else gets done, nothing else gets done, those items, those big three every single day, you're going to knock those out no matter what. That is, your, that is your pledge to yourself. That is what you're absolutely going to do. I promise you. So, so a lot of the research has been, has been put together. Another book I recommend, The One Thing by Gary Keller. He, he wrote the book. He wrote the book, The One Thing. And he talks about how um, basically the, the, they have found that the average person needs to spend about four hours a day on their one thing. And, and if they do so, that is all that's required to achieve the success that they want to achieve. Well, here's the deal. Your big three, your MITs, you're probably going to commit about four hours a day. So if you only did those four things, that's all you have to commit to your business is four hours a day, and that's it. So you, maybe you do two hours in the morning, you go to your job, you come home, you do an hour as soon as you get home, you make dinner, you take care of the kids, put them to bed, you do another hour. There's four hours a day. I have a friend that did this. He grew a seven-figure business with a full-time job doing just this. Hmm. That is going to allow you to maneuver and be strategic about areas of impact not being a task manager. So that's the second part. The last part, as we talked about Parkinson's law, is expanding, you know, your work will expand at the time you allow for it. Inside the full focus planner every day, you're going to see an hour by hour block, an hour by hour breakdown of what your day is going to look like, right? So we're going to strategically maneuver how we're going to construct our day to be most effective, right? So what I do is I'm looking at it right in front of me right here. So I'm going to put all the things that I want to do. Usually what I do is I put all of my small tasks that just need to get knocked out first thing in the morning, right? I come home from the gym. I just boom, 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 boom. I need to call and get a refund from Amazon or whatever. I'm going to do that then. I'm going to knock everything out. In the afternoons, for me, the one to three block is when I just focus on really nailing my MITs. I'll take a break, do what I'm doing with you right now. And then I spend another two to three hours until about 5, 36 o'clock working and finishing my MIT. So my entire afternoon is dedicated to, it's just blank space, me with my MITs, I put my phone on do not disturb, I don't want any notifications, I close my door, nothing. I'm just locked in on my MITs and I am determined to get those things done if I don't get anything else done, right? Non-negotiables. Hmm. So for me, that's really how you orchestrate and navigate your days to be as effective as you possibly can. Are there gonna be days where you fall behind and you miss and you have to defer something? Absolutely, but here's the deal. If you can nail it 85% of the time, 90% of the time, I promise you what you're going to find is you're going to look back and say, holy wow, I did more just by doing what I did with blocking out my hours. Thomas, true story. I started, I, first I just had my list, Taskmaster, right? I started doing the, I started breaking it down, being more strategic and actually did the hour by hour breakdown. Dude, I was getting everything done. Same list. I was getting everything done in half a day when what well, used to take me a full day. Now, keep that in mind is that I am a high driven you know, not so entrepreneur. So what I do in a day is probably what a lot of people do in a week. If I'm being totally fair, at least three days, let's say. Now I'm doing that in half a day. Now imagine this, it, we can't create more time. We can just be more effective with it. So imagine if you can really get, not only focus on areas of impact, but then get more efficient with how you're navigating your time. Forget about it, it's game over. It's a, it's game, and then build the habits on top of it. I promise you, you will achieve things that you literally thought were not possible and start excelling at a level that you didn't think was that you were capable of doing.
And when you started doing this and, uh, and I noticed, and I liked what you said about how, like, you know, cause life happens sometimes and you get, you know, there's going to be days you fall behind and you do, sometimes you do 85%, how it sounds like you're super in tuned with this process and you're super dialed in. How long did that take you to really dial in and, you know, and go from that, you know, sometimes it's 50% and then it's 85%. And now it sounds like you are just like hitting it every single week. Yeah, man. So here's the thing. And this is really important because a lot of people will hear me say stuff like this. And I'm glad you bring that up because they're like, man, that guy's a machine. I could never do that. And it's like, okay, but here's the deal. This is the compounding effect from years of tweaking, trying new things. Figure out what works for me. I, I have some friends that wake up at five in the morning. So I, I took my, I did my chronotype. You can do a, a test called a chronotype, which tells you what type of sleeper you are. I was either a bear or a dolphin. I, I tested differently both the times I did it. But basically what it means is I'm not a morning person. I've known that my entire life. So, so some people know they're not a morning person, but what do they do? They force themselves out of bed at five o'clock in the morning because they tell themselves that's what's required because that's what success looks like. Well, well here's the deal. What I talk about playing the wrong game, that's 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 the other man's game. That's not your game. Figure out a schedule that works for you. Keep tweaking things over time. If something's not working and you're only at 50%, okay, what can I do to optimize to get to 65%? What can I optimize to do to get to 66%, right? Like it doesn't even have to be a jump from 50 to 80%. There are a lot of things that, and I don't even want to put a definitive percentage on my own performance, right? Because for me, I can always be improving. I can always be getting better. So for me, I'm a biohacker. I'm huge into, I've noticed a direct correlation between what I put in my body, how I treat my body and my performance with my work or my edge with my, my cognition. Like I've noticed those things directly. So it's always a work in progress. Always, always, always. Now here's going to be the, the hard part is uh, you need to put things in place. And this is why I really suggest uh, a gratitude assignment or, or gratitude practice rather. Uh, things that you're doing, measurables that you're putting in place so that you're recognizing the improvement that you're making because one day you're going to lift your head up and realize I've gotten so much better and I didn't even appreciate or recognize that it was happening. And that's a really, I do that all the time. It's a really tough place to be because the problem is, is that you are excelling and growing and, and, and becoming so much better in so many ways, specifically as we're talking about with productivity, uh, that if you don't have those things in place, you don't recognize that what you're doing is actually working. So if you don't have that's part of testing anything. If you don't have metrics to measure, if you don't have anything that you can you can qualify with it or quantify with it, uh, what you're going to find is that you're not appreciating the steps and the ma massive leaps that you're taking. You there's not a report card that you get that comes in and says, this week you got an 85, so create one for yourself. What does that report card need to look like? How are you going to grade yourself that specific week so that you can look at things, really look at it from a micro standpoint and analyze, okay, this is what I did this week. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. What can I do next week? What did I do well? What did I not do well? How could I improve those things? How could I limit it? So what you're going to find is that it's going to evolve and improve over time. You're not just going to flip a switch and then all of a sudden you're going to be this, you know, amazing productivity maven. Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that because like I said, myself and people that I talk to, I find it very interesting that as entrepreneurs or creatives in general, we don't you know, have gratitude or celebrate our small wins. It is be, it is beyond me. Cause I do it all the time Right. where it's like, I'll be so proud of myself. I have like an internal, like, yay. And it's like, well, it. back mm -hmm. to work. you know, like, <laughs> I don't it's the curse of the hyperachiever. It, that's all it is. It's the curse of the hyperachiever and most entrepreneurs are hyperachievers. So it's the next pursuit. So you're, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. 
Yeah. And what, you know, in planning everything and writing everything down, I'm guessing that totally eliminates, you know, being scatterbrained and procrastination. Yeah, man. And I'm super ADD and uh, I'm sure people can gather. I bounce around with a lot with my thoughts. Um, and so for me, it's, um, it's, it's the same principle for really, you know, kind of looking at things, um, metaphorically looking at other examples, so to speak. Uh, there's a reason why Steve Jobs, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they wear the same clothes every day. People are like, why, why would they do that? And it's just like, no, no, no. You'll get to a point where you realize, and if you understand the brain, right? And there's many, many books that I could recommend people look into as far as understanding uh, the amount of, we've never had more sensory inputs on our brain than what we do right now in today's society. Well, here's the deal. Those, uh, we, we don't treat the brain the same as we do other muscle groups in our in our body right like i wouldn't tell you thomas hey i want to go to the gym and work out for seven hours today you'd be like that is insanity like so why do we just assume that our brain can handle all of the the load that we put on it every single day uh so here's the deal this is why i say all this the 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 brain is always going to try to reduce bandwidth the more you can reduce it as well by and through intention by reducing the things that you're both exposed to we talked about social media we talked about tv i don't even watch tv right like all these things that try to reduce however the more we can get things we we treat our brains like they're hard drive the more we can start putting things down on paper the more we can start putting things down uh and getting it out of our brain the more bandwidth we create for that free space for that creativity to happen for those brilliant epiphany moments for you to say oh my gosh this was the answer this is what i've been doing wrong and i have those epiphany moments all the time don't think that when you just become a more mature entrepreneur that those moments that just happen all the time because you have to you have to create the intention for those things to happen so the more that you can get your you shouldn't be walking around on your head thinking okay gotta remember one o'clock gotta remember one o'clock i've got to call it one o'clock call it one o'clock no, 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 no. Put that down on paper. Set a reminder on your phone. Let, let technology work for you, not against you. Because here's the deal. Instead of having that take up all that cognitive bandwidth in your, your brain, what if it was focused on, I have free space to think, right? With just no noise, no phone, no YouTube, no nothing, just to be still. And I promise you, in those moments, I do float therapy, uh, uh, self-deprivation tanks, sensory deprivation tanks, uh, which Joe Rogan talks about all the time. But I do those. Man, I come out of that thing and I'm like, I really, sometimes I write a book while I'm in there, in my head, literally, because it's just, for the first time, sometimes in weeks for me, it's just clear headspace, and we don't do that enough, and like I said with entrepreneurship, it's a head game, right, completely a mental game, so if you can do that, simply by using a planner, simply by doing things that reduce that stress that you have on your brain all the time, I promise you, you're going to see just crazy returns on that investment. And I, yeah, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about that too. And I've actually done it once, but I almost resort that. And I'm glad it works for you. Cause I'm like you, I have 80, I have entrepreneur ADD. Right. And I did mm -hmm. the deprivation take one time and my brain was going, I, 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 I didn't like it. Cause I was, oh my <laughs> God, my brain was going into overload, but I, I'm glad that that's, I, I call it the zone of genius. Like you've got to find where your zone of genius yeah. is. And I've noticed when I put my headphones on in the gym and just sure. get on a tread. I have bad knees. So I just do uh, inclines on a treadmill and I uh -huh. started taking a piece of paper with me to the gym. And that's where my ideas just flow yeah. like the salmon of Capistrano, my friend. Uh -huh. Like it is just, it just dumps. Like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you why some people it's in the shower. Sometimes it's, you know, sure. if, you know, it, I can't watch 
motivational movies before I go to bed or I'll be up till five in the morning just brain dumping ideas or something like that. Have you tried, um, this would be something maybe interesting because I think there's a lot of us uh, ADD entrepreneurs. I think it's part of, um, I, I, I don't know, I, I haven't read any studies on this. So this is again, more of just my own my own opinion than anything else. But I think there's a lot of us that we, we as as people with ADD, we, we don't fit inside of the normal mold to a large degree, right? And I think we've always kind of inherently known that. I think it's more of a blessing than it is a curse. I think we're doing the work that we should do. However, it doesn't mean it doesn't create its own challenges because we're, bottom line is that society was created in a way that is not necessarily conducive uh, to the ADD person unless we are creating new things, which is great because we're challenging the status quo, we're challenging the ways we do things, we're challenging the world and the way that the world operates. However, one of the things that I've really noticed, because there is a lot to be said about what's causing the ADD. Uh, a lot of people would say it's, it's gut-brain axis, which was certainly in my case. I've noticed just by uh, tending to my gut health immediately, I'm far more cognitively inclined than I was before, but also uh, taking advantage of things like nootropics have really just uh, expanded not only my ability to handle the sensory inputs that I mentioned previously, but also to just be really dialed in and and close the gap between now and my next epiphany moment has been something really, really awesome. So I'm not a big fan of smart drugs. I, I think anything synthetic is not great, but nootropics are natural, uh, naturally occurring. So big, big fan of those. And I know since you mentioned Joe Rogan, he, I can't remember what the product he uses calls. He's very an advocate for the alpha brain. Thank you. Have you mm. tried that stuff? I did. I did. It's not, it um, wasn't my favorite one that I've done, but, but I, I, I feel like I did. I'd have to go look at the, the ingredient list again, but I feel like I did notice something though, for sure. Yeah. I've always wanted to try it just to give it a whirl. Cause I mean, you know, I trust you know, as you did too, sure. obviously you got it. So is there any type of nootropics that you can yeah, recommend? The one, the one I'm doing now, uh, is called, it's, it's called a uh, keto nootropic and I'm not necessarily advocating for an extreme diet. Um, you know, like ketogenic, although I do think that a healthy fat diet is, is very helpful. This one's by uh, Designs for Health is the company. Keto Nootropic is, is specifically the product name. Uh, I, I buy their products often. I've actually, I work with a lot of, um, this isn't just stuff I just picked up off the shelf. Um, I work with practitioners, um, both naturopathic, functional medicine doctors, and this was one that they approved and recommended. Uh, but yeah, I've noticed, I've noticed now I would say that the, the, the biggest benefit I've seen has been the gut health related stuff. So if you just, if you have poor gut health and you just throw nootropics into the mix, it's not going to do much for you. But if you clean up the gut and do nootropics as a stack, oh man, you're, and you get your numbers dialed in, right? Meaning you have lab work that's done that tests your blood work, that tests everything, right? Your, your hormone levels, uh, you know, everything. Uh, one of the things is that you will notice immediately is that a lot of those, the, the negative parts of ADD will, will dissipate the positives, the creative ideas, the problem solving, all those things will just be maximized. So you, you see, again, what I said before, put yourself in a position to succeed. Yeah. And I always think of it as a more of an advantage. I try, you know, I'm a glass yeah. half full anyway, but I've got ADD mixed with a little bit of dyslexia and, sure. you know, you go down the rabbit hole, like growing up, it was almost a survival tactic. Right. You know, I could cheat my way through anything in high school and I didn't even know it. And uh -huh. it was just like, I kind of, when I tell stories of what I did, it's just like, I didn't even know what I was doing. It was just a survival thing. But then you that start going man. down. Yeah. And then you start going down the rabbit hole of other successful people who are also dyslexic or AD, 
ADHD or whatever. And you just see, yeah. it's just a different way of learning. And yeah. yeah, man, it's just, it's, it's a very interesting topic as well. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know how we got through school. If I look back, I'm like, I couldn't get through a day. Oh, <laughs> dude, 20 years. Well, it's so funny because we talked about entrepreneurship. I didn't even really know what it was for the uh, longest time. Cause I was that, like, I remember in middle school when, do you remember Warheads? The little yes. kids, the sour candies, yeah, you could only get those at a certain Kroger, which is a grocery store. Uh, no, yeah, I'm from Cincinnati, man. I'm, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you could only get them at this one Kroger and people be like, where'd you get them? And then somebody was like, oh man, I'll give you five bucks for those. And I was like, wait a minute, if he's going to give me five bucks for these, who else is going to do it? You know, so it was like selling warheads, selling, you know, awesome. mixed CDs when Napster was a thing, you know, always doing that in like in high school. Like I said, I cheated. Like I came up with these like grand schemes of how yeah. to get, you know, better grades. And like you, like you said, just looking back on it now, I, I don't know how I don't know how I got through it. But Crazy, yeah, man. but um, kind of what you were talking about, though. And what was that? What was it called again? The um the book or the where we were talking about a productivity, what was it called? Uh, okay, so the planner is the full focus planner uh -huh. by Michael Hyatt. Really, really recommend. It's one of the best uh, productivity tools that I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I use that for planning my day. Uh, task oriented stuff. Uh, definitely a big fan of Trello. I, I know some people like Asana. I use Trello, um, but basically, what I try to do, and this is the biggest thing, like I mentioned, is just offload all this crap that you're trying to carry in your brain. It's, it's unnecessary. Use technology to your benefit. Offload it into your planners. Offload it into your technology. Set up reminders. Set up recurring events, recurring tasks, things that you need to whatever. Like, really, just think like, okay, what would stillness look like in my life? And and I think a lot of times is that we we walk around with this to do list as this um, this badge of honor, mm. right? Like, as an entrepreneur, that's not fruitful. Like, there's no direct ROI with you walking the dog. Now, I'm not saying don't walk your dog. That's a necessity. That's a necessity. There's a thing you, but there's other things in your life that you're doing that have no direct ROI. Now, let's think about conversely. Let's think about your competition. Let's think about the person who has optimized. Let's think about the person who isn't wasting. The average person, you know, wastes two hours of their day. And the average person checks their phone every seven minutes up to 120 times a day. That's scary. So imagine if you were able to, again, that goes back to habit building. If you could build the effective habits, if you could maximize and, and link your activity to direct return on investment, right? Like this is a money-making activity that I'm engaging in right now. And I'm either going to automate, delegate, or eliminate, right? All of the things that maybe don't, aren't, that aren't necessarily conducive to revenue generating activities. Now, I know it's gotten a little bit, we need, we need to probably nuance that further because one could argue, Thomas, is what you're doing right now or what I'm doing right now, right? Having this conversation, does it directly link to monetary gain? The answer is probably no. I don't think anybody's going to pick up the phone and call you or I and say, I loved it. I want to give you $1,000 so you guys have more of these conversations. Like I doubt that's going to happen. So it is a little bit more nuanced now with specifically with creating content. However, however, creating content builds brand. Building brand builds trust. Having trust develops customers, right? So, so... There's long-term, there's short-term. So it's a matter for you to sit down and distinguish, here are my long-term opportunities. These are things I'm doing that will lead to generating revenue. Here's my short-term. This is how I'm going to make money. And these are the activities I need to engage in. So again, what does it go back to? Planning your day. What are your goals? How are you going to allocate your time? What, what amount of time are you going to allocate? Because if I spend an hour a day 
and I know it's towards my long-term goals, building my YouTube channel, building my podcast, et cetera. Okay, I'm okay with that because I'm spending another seven to eight hours on money generating activities, right? But if I'm spending eight hours of my time on free content for social media because I just have Gary V syndrome, well, maybe that's not conducive to me making money as an actual business. So again, it really comes down to let's look at things and not just do things. You're not in the hamster wheel anymore. I'm going to give you permission to throw that shit out the window, right? And really focus on what am I going to do with my time? What is my comp- competition doing with their time? And how do I continue to optimize it so that I am putting the majority of my efforts behind A, the things that, I'm, that I'm, I like to do, B, the things that I'm uniquely good at, right? And C, the things are going to make me money. So very, very important to be doing, constantly refining that. And would you say this, everything you just said and everything we kind of talked about um, creates almost like the perfect structure for success? Yeah, I think what you'll find, and um, this was something that they found that 80% of businesses, um, basically only 20% of companies, 80% is overlapping, meaning that only the trade-specific aspects of companies fall in that 20%. So most businesses can be the same basic principles of how to run a company, regardless if you run an online tech giant versus you run a local donut shop. Like 80% business is business. Business is business. So if you develop the, the, the habits and you develop the structure and you develop yourself as a highly functioning, performing entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what you're doing. That's just the byproduct, right? It's, it's the system and the structure that you create. And the problem is, Thomas, in my opinion, that so many people are focused on the X's and O's of growing their specific business. I'm not saying that's not important. That is important. That's part of the process. However, they're a train wreck personally. They have no plan. They have no structure. They have no tools. They have no resources. They have there's no education involved. They just have this thing that they do. And that's when they end up finding themselves in this hamster wheel running around. And what do they defer back to? What I have been conditioned to know my entire life, which is the taskmaster, what we learn in school right? Here's what you need to do. This is, you just do it every day and eventually you get your grades and you do well and you move on to the next grade. Well, that's not the game anymore. That's, that's never the game. We need to be thinking laterally. Lateral thinking is the game. So throw all of those conditions out the window. You have to re, and this is the hardest part for me, Thomas, and when I, especially with my clients is we have to find, yep, there's some of that toxic, you know, bad data that you're bringing in that you learn from school or you learn from this, or you learn from wherever, We've got, to, we've got to recondition the mind to think like a billionaire. Think like an entrepreneur because I can promise you this. And, and if you need to put these, I've seen people take some pretty extraordinary measures doing this. They'll put little note, little sticky notes all over the place just to remind themselves, right? One in particular mentor of ours, um, he puts, is the current task worth $997 an hour, right? And he sticks that everywhere. So in places specifically where he gets distracted. So what he'll remind himself of just to kind of reprogram, you know, his own brain is to say, should I be doing this? Or should I find a way to say, I need to delegate this or eliminate this or find a way that gets done without me being involved because it's not worth nine ninety seven an hour. So one of the things that I like to do to get people started on that track is saying, write down a list, create the job position that you yourself would, would, would basically what you do, but create it as a job, right? So write the description. What is this person going to do? Like you're going to hire yourself. What are their functions going to be and how much you're going to pay this person by the hour? And then all those tasks, you would say, yeah, there's no way I'd pay somebody $997 an hour to do that. That's crazy. Why would, why would I pay somebody to do that? The problem is, is that we don't treat ourselves that way. And in many cases, like you mentioned, we're treating our employees better than we treat ourselves, right? Because the business becomes an extension of who we are 
not this living and breathing thing that has its life out of its own. That's a huge mistake a lot of people make. And it's very hard to make the transition from this thing that's like my little baby, my little pet project into this growing organization. I, man, I wrestle with entrepreneurs so much helping them make that transition. I myself struggle with it because it's like we come so infatuated in love with this thing and then like we don't see it. And sometimes your baby's ugly and it's just hard to accept that. So if you treat it uh, as an object, as a commodity that can be bought and sold and so on and so forth, and you're literally filling talent and positions in accordance with what that thing needs to thrive and grow, no different than you would a game you're playing like The Sims or something like that online, right? And then also doing the same for your own position, treating yourself just as you would someone you're going to hire to fill a, posi a specific position or a role. I think what you're going to find is, is that you're going to be uh, outside of everything else we've already talked about. I think what you'll find is that you're going to be putting yourself in positions to succeed and to grow, but also what's best for the organization and uh, have a potential plan in place for having the business run, even if you removed yourself from that business, which is the ultimate goal. Do you feel like a lot of creatives and entrepreneurs have a very hard time of letting go of control as well? Yeah, they do. And the the big mistake that I see with that, and I, again, I experience a lot of these things I'm telling you that when I say people that experience this, the first person that experienced this was myself, right? <laughs> so please know this is not me being high and mighty and saying like, oh, well, these people are making all these mistakes. Like the reason I know their mistakes is because I made all of them probably 10 times. Um, the problem is, is that when you're making that transition, you, you've done all these things to get it to where it's at. So there is some fear. There definitely is some fear involved with, well, what if they don't do it as good as I did it, right? So, so ideally, that's a hiring issue, right? So you should find people that can do it better, right? Like I, my, my, um, uh, my editor just took over our YouTube because we've been doing YouTube for a year now and it's growing very, very slowly. But literally, he's been doing it for a week and it's, he's already doing it better than what I was doing because he immersed himself in it. He's learning. He's going through the educational process. So I actually was holding us back. Many times we're actually holding the business back, right? And that's a, that's a, a huge part of the issue. But the other thing is this. We associate what we've done, what got us here, right? The work that we did to get us where, wherever here is for you. And if we strip that away, we feel like we're not going to provide any value anymore, right? Like it's no longer going to be because of me that this work was this business is doing what it's doing right we don't we don't know what the next step looks like we say like oh well you oversee the company because some people they're not lazy right i'm not lazy either but some people just want to go home and sit and have somebody call them at the end of the day and say hey the business is going great okay awesome i don't have to do anything like so so they're, they're not okay with this idea of not doing work and they don't see the value in some of the other work right like i mentioned the the big big picture planning right or figuring out strategic thinking what are the next steps what are the next big hires what's the next big strategic partnership that you're going to make that's going to take your business to the next level uh, what kind of content can you be focusing on creating so that you are getting the the messaging out of your brand or your business like all of that thing we we don't associate value in our time as much as we did some of the heavy lifting things that we did early on with the business right some of the things that maybe did have like i'm creating social media assets or you know, I'm out doing the service of my business. I'm delivering donuts. Like I mentioned a donut shop or like I'm doing those things. And so I think we, we kind of lose ourselves in the value creation and the value delivery part of things because we just don't associate the, these new things or we don't even know what they are or we don't associate them with the same level of value that the stuff that we used to do in our minds equates to. And have you created, and I know one big thing for entrepreneurs and creatives and kind of what we're talking about right now is to also create processes and some people love to do it and some people hate to do it. Which one are you? I love the benefit of it. Um, I love when something works. 
And that, and I think that's true for a lot of entrepreneurs. I don't know that I love, I don't know that I love the work in doing it, but I love the result thereafter. Yeah. Cause I hear a lot of entrepreneurs say you got to slow down before you speed up. And I think that kind of correlates into that, but man, I could talk to you about this for hours, you know, but I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, a, just a couple quick questions. Now, I know you have a super love for books. You're a hyper reader. I, 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 I consume content a whole different way. I have to do video or audio. Um, and you, I know you have a book club and everything like that. Um, just out of curiosity though, you know, with all these books you read and talk about review and implement, when is your book coming out? Uh, so I, that's a great question. And there, I've been asked this a lot. I think the thing for me is, and this is neither right, wrong, nor indifferent. Um, I, I want to write it when I feel like it's the right season to write it. Hmm. So I'm not going to play. I, I think sometimes people do it because it's the same reason people get married and have kids because it's like, well, it feels like I should now. Right. And it's not the right reason. It's just because we feel these pressures to do so. When I, when the time is right, I will do it. When I feel like my audience is to a point where um, we have something that we can really spread to a, a lot of people, not just, hey, my mom and dad read it or whatever. And I'm not saying that would be limited in my reach right now. Uh, but when the, when the season's right, I will definitely do it. it I write every day if you want to know, to be, if I'm being candid. Uh, every single day, on my, I write down my intentions. So I do on my full focus planner. On the left, I write my, my schedule. On the right, I'll read it to you. I will be a billionaire and a New York Times bestselling author by 50. I write that every single day inside of this journal. I write it every single day. Um, so obviously that said, you have to write a book to be a New York Times bestselling author. So it is in my plans. Uh, I just want to make sure that it's the right time and I really strike true versus just putting out a book for the sake of putting out a book. Do you already have a name and a concept? I know you can't give away everything, but do you already have a couple of ideas floating around? There's been some ideas, man, but nothing really concrete. Um, and that's maybe part of the reason why I haven't written anything yet. I, I, I just... Uh, I think part of the process and going through the work that I do now with my with my online presence anyways is like figuring out what that would be, right? And my wife says it best. She says, clarity doesn't strike, it unfolds. I'm in the unfolding process. Interesting. I was going to say, you may, I guess you might have to stay in that deprivation tank a couple more extra times. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, um, what would you say is your entrepreneur superpower? Oh, man. Um so the first one, I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind, um, and this has been true. There are other things that have happened too that are that are I would say are also uh, superpowers to a large degree. But but one that really rings true for me is I there's something that's broken inside of me that just doesn't know when to submit, um, doesn't know when to quit. Uh, I've been through hell and back and back again. Uh, sometimes unnecessarily, this is, I have to be really careful because it can also, our strengths can also be our Achilles heel in many ways. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, but I can be very masochistic if I'm not careful with this. Um, I am just committed to the struggle, kind of understanding that it's going to be a struggle. And I put myself through things that most people do not, not my assumption through, through candor and, and through their, their articulation to me that they're like, I don't know how you do the things you do and why you do the things you do. I've gone through uh, tremendous hardships, uh, even in growth, right? Even growing a thousand percent in revenue from 50,000 to half a million dollars from year one to year two in my first business. That was extremely painful. 
Um, so I, so I would say I, I, I am extremely persistent. I'm extremely tenacious. I just don't know when to quit. Um, it's just not in me. Um, and I'm, I'm an extreme problem solver. Um, there's never a challenge that I can't find a solution for. So I, I would say those kind of round out the ones that immediately come to mind. No, 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 those are, no, those are all good, man. And you mentioned wanting to be a billionaire, uh, by 50. Why a billion? That's a good question, man. Um, so I had a goal. It, it, this might be, I, I try to stay away from vanity goals because I think that they don't really, they don't really, um, so my, my wife has challenged me on this actually. So I'm glad you're asking me this question. She said, well, what if you only made a hundred million dollars only, right? Only a hundred million dollars, but, but you served people in a way that was both impactful and influential. And I would say, yeah, I was absolutely a success. She was like, would you feel like you weren't a success? Uh, I was, it was absolutely, I would feel like I was a success. The money part of it wouldn't necessarily be as big of a deal to me. So my main goal, um, is impact and influence is, did I make an impact in the world? And I mean the world, when I say the world, I don't mean like my, my neighborhood. I don't mean my street. I don't mean my city. I literally mean the world. When I say that I want to be, um, you know, Tony Robbins level influence. And I know that takes a long time to do that. Uh, but one of the things that I look at and the reason why I said a billionaire is because I look at money as a vehicle, right? It's not because I, I'm, you know, I get to buy the fancy things and I don't care. I would literally be the guy that still drove a Honda Civic, promise you. Um, however, a uh, billion feels like that I would be able to have the same influence, the same impact, make the same contributions to the things that I care about, uh, go do the things that, that I want to do to really make a, a, an everlasting change. When, when my last days is upon me, one of the things that I want to be able to say is that I don't have any regrets whatsoever about what I did, how I spent my time, and who I impacted. My biggest fear, and has been, probably, this is a weird thing to say, um, when I was very young, five, six years old, I told my mom that I was going to change the world. And so very similar to what I'm telling you now, and I meant literally the world. If I get to that point and I realize that I'm going to pass and only be remembered by a few and forgotten after a generation, um, that to me is is a nightmare. I don't know why I feel that way, but I always have. So for me, it's like, okay, if I achieve billionaire status. Um, that will allow me to do something that will be both noteworthy and meaningful more importantly, meaningful, um, that will have some sort of a legacy that carries on, uh, that creates a ripple effect that makes some kind of substantial difference in the world, right? So, so that's how I arrived at that figure. If it ends up being 500 million and I still make the same impact, I'm totally cool. If it ends up being 50 million, I'm totally cool. If it ends up being no million, right, then I'm totally cool. Uh, but that was just a number that I felt like really was conducive to the big and lofty goals that I have. And does that kind of correlate into your why of like why you do what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Impact and influence. Those are the two words. There's, I can't remember the book offhand, man. Um, I read it recently. I read so much that I can't, sometimes I, I lose track of some of these. So I do apologize. No, you're uh, good, but, man. But it was an exercise that made you, uh, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to remember Thomas. I'll remember this as soon as we stop recording and I'll be like, no, nah. but we'll um, put it in the show notes. Yeah. But, but, but it made you go through and really identify uh, with two words that resonate. It was kind of like building out your core values. And I looked at the list and I just kind of was, you know, looking through and, and just had a, you know, bird's eye view kind of, I wasn't like really fixating on anyone in particular, but those two words really popped. And then the other word that popped to me was adventure or adventurous, I believe is what it was. And it was something that I didn't realize about myself that I just love the, the adventure of being out, creating new things, building new things, seeing new places, 
whatever. So I've really tried to, and anytime you can do these, these, you know, like an Enneagram test or some kind of an assessment, a better understand you are the asset. You're the most, as an entrepreneur, you're the most important asset you will ever have ever because you could lose a building. You could lose a company. I have, I lost, I lost my first company. It was devastating. And for a lot of reasons that I feel like weren't necessarily my own doing, but at the end of the day, that came to pass. What was left? Me, the entrepreneur. So for me, it's like, why would you not every single day? That's why I don't get it. I, I, I call people that are on the, the the pizza and beer diet. I'm like, why would you? This is, I, I mean, I know the Bible tells us this is our temple, but but from a secular standpoint, purely, right? From a business standpoint, why would you not invest everything you can, whether that's from a business perspective, from a knowledge perspective, from a health perspective, to achieve everything you want to achieve, that's where you start. That's where you start. Everything else is a beneficiary. Everything else you touch, everything else you do is a beneficiary. So I really try to do, that's that. Again, maybe this is my, 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 my superpower. I don't know. But really, always really fixating inwardly of how can I improve myself today? What can I do to equip myself to understand myself better? Uh, I love doing NLP work, neuro-linguistic programming. Like how do I understand my subconscious, the ways that I operate, why I operate that way, why I think the ways that I think, why do I say the things that I do, why you know, all of those things, man, have just beget have begetted such a large ROI in my life that I feel like no matter what, if you focus there, if you continue to to make that an intentional practice in your life, uh, the sky is truly the limit, as cliche as that sounds. Dude, that is a perfect way to end it, man. Um, no, that that was great. Uh, where can people find you online? Yeah, so best way is, is social media, obviously, um, at HeyCMH. Like, hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, CMH. Uh, my name is Chris Michael Harris. I, I think you said it at the beginning. Yep. Uh, so CMH is what I go by because Chris Michael Harris is quite a mouthful. Uh, so you can find me there. HeyCMH.com would be great. We did put together a resource that I usually offer up to people's audiences, specifically those that are trying to start a business called our Ultimate Startup Checklist. Uh, so you can go to USC Download, USCDownload.com to grab that. Awesome, man. 100% and I will, free. Yep. And I will uh, put all those links in the description, man. I, once again, I appreciate your time and thank you for coming. All right, buddy. Enjoyed it, man. Thanks so much. You too. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.